Well, good morning, good morning. How's everybody? I, I am so glad you're here. If you're new, my name is Danny, and I am one of the pastors, and I'm gonna be sharing with you a little bit today. Uh, this, this message, which is what we call, uh, what we're about to talk about, kind of this uh, sermon, if you will, uh, has been different in every single room that I've spoken at. This is the third time I've spoken, and we can't figure out why, but uh, we're all curious to see if this is now gonna be a third and different message because of you all that showed up. And, and you know who you are. You know if you showed up and you're like, ah, oh, I messed this room up. I, I do that sometimes. Uh, I want you to know that that's just fine, that, uh, that we're okay kind of playing off script a little bit and seeing what God wants to do because I believe in a living God. I believe that his presence, which we call the Holy Spirit, moves in and out of people. And I think he moves in and out of messages. And for some reason, this has just been a very spirit-filled, very like, like kind of acute message to people's hearts and, uh, and also kind of, kind of full attention. And that's okay as well, because if you know anything about Kessid, you know that we are a place for people who are spiritually curious, which means we get a lot of people who are mad at God going to our church, a lot of people who don't believe in God going to our church, and friends of people who just want to come and see what all the fuss is about, or people who have been shame-based by their mothers to go to our church. Um, and so we're okay with all that tension. So I just wanna, I wanna create space for it. I wanna pray. And uh, if you don't pray, that's fine. You can just watch me. But uh, I think God is gonna do something today, even if you showed up not expecting him to. And uh, I don't know, I'm ready for that. So you best buckle up, because we're going for it. <laughs> all right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, whatever it is you're gonna do. Thank you for this space. Thank you for... The fact that we can just be humans, that uh, we can walk in with our stuff, with our distractions, with our messes, and that you don't mind that a bit. I pray, Lord, that uh, whoever showed up here hoping to uh, find something they're missing would find it. I pray for whoever showed up here uh, frustrated and angry but, but wanting healing would find it. I pray whoever showed up here curious would uh, have their curiosity peaked even a little bit more, and I pray for those who showed up here to draw close to you because they believe in you, because they, they wanna spend their lives just in your presence, would feel it today in the room right now and beyond. Thank you for the story you are telling with every person here. We are so excited to just uh, to let you take over and see what happens. We lift this time to you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, so we're in the second week of a series called The Theory of More. And we're kind of squaring off, which is why we might be feeling some of the tension with the whole world that says that you have to produce, look like, act like, uh, think like a certain way in order for you to have value. And the Bible's really clear that that's not at all how value works, that there is intrinsic value because you are created in the image of God. Whether you believe in him or not, that doesn't really matter. God created you. He breathed life to you, and frankly, you can write this down, you are more than just science sitting in a chair. You aren't just chemicals going off in your brain. You aren't just, uh, just somebody taking up space in this world, just hoping that you can survive to the next high and make it through the next low, that there is actual reason that you live, and that part of life's purpose is you discovering that. Now, in order to discover that, in order to, to, to meet God at all, you've got to think about God in the right way. You have to understand at least a little bit of who he is. And so what I want to do is I want to give you an image of God we're going to carry out through the entire 
service today that, that I think is a little more practical, that the Bible backs up, that I hope brings a little bit of reflection and maybe even a little bit of clarity about your own identity to, to you where you're at right now. That image is when God describes himself as a lion. The Bible does this a lot. It describes God in this very specific way. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 31, four is our first verse. I'll put it on the screen. It says, for thus says the Lord to me, and he's, then God's describing himself to Isaiah. He says, as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. He says, when you're in trouble, children of the Lord, when they're in trouble, God shows up. And he just doesn't show up like a God glowing in the distance. He just doesn't show up like a genie out of a lamp. It says, and he gives these words of himself, I show up like a lion. That's how I roll. That's a picture given of God to his creatures. Now, it's not just God that takes on this identity. It is also Jesus who is God in flesh, in human form. Even more common, the Bible describes Jesus as a lion, but it's a very specific lion. It's called the Lion of Judah. Now, Judah was a person that started a tribe of people. And that tribe of people is the lineage that Jesus comes from. Jesus is of the people of Judah. And so it's called, he is called the Lion of Judah. And when this prophecy is spoken into Judah's life, that out of his lineage, Jesus will come, this lion name is given. It says in Genesis 49, 9, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. So there's this prophecy in Judah's life that something's gonna happen in his story way bigger than him. That there is a lion coming from his lineage. And we know that that lion is Jesus. In Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, it talks about Jesus, this lion, and it says it in this way. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open up the scroll and its seven seals. Again, you read that Jesus is this lion persona, that he carries this presence. Now, why is this important for us to pause and rest on for just a moment, because most people in the room right now have been taught in the churches they grew up or through the shows they watched on TV or maybe even in their Bible studies that Jesus is way more lamb than he is lion. But they don't call him the lamb of Judah. They refer to him as a lamb. And a lot of people like to tie that meek verse, the one that Jesus teaches in the Beatitudes, the one that says the meek shall, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And it's like Jesus was meek. Jesus was meek, but do you know meek in Greek actually means that you have the power to hurt someone but choose not to. That's what meekness is. Meekness isn't weakness. Meekness isn't passivity. Meekness isn't a calm voice. Jesus probably walked around and was like, hello, I'm Jesus. This is how we think of Jesus. So when you hear God's a lion, you're like, okay, I kind of combine into that. And then I'm like, no, Jesus is lion on earth. Jesus is the lion of Judah. You're like, mm. I mean, I hear you, but I think Jesus also is very lamb being led to the slaughter. He was, but he was also a lion being willing to set down his power and sacrifice his life 
for you. And in that way, he was meek. And so in that way, he was also a lion being led to the slaughter. You never think about that, do you? I never think about Jesus that way. And I need to, and I'm supposed to. And I was convicted by it this week. I was convicted by it actually uh, through a painting that I want to show you. I was hanging out with some friends and they started talking about their daughter's artwork. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Can I see it? And they just handed me their phone and I started looking at all of her different artwork and this one image captured me and so I clicked on it and then I rudely asked if I could have it. (laughs) They were like, what? I was like, can you send me a picture of that? And so she sent me this picture right here. She didn't know I had a lion sermon that I was building, but apparently Jesus did. I asked if I could have the original to show you guys. So this is the original image that she painted. Now here's the thing about artwork that's so interesting. I know because uh, even this room, this, the experience you're having today is different depending on what you brought to the table. So how this image hits you may not be how she even intended it to hit you, and it certainly probably wasn't how it intended to hit me, but I saw this image, and then I built an entire message out of it, just off of one image. And I'm gonna explain to you why that image I think is important, not just for me and my life and how I see Jesus, but my hope is it's important for you and your life when it comes to believing this lie that you have to be more. This is a difficult and very irregular thing that gets passed down from generation to generation. And we forget that if Jesus Christ is the Lion of Judah and we are supposed to find our identity in Jesus, then that means every single person in this room is supposed to, in their own way, have lion-likeness qualities. You're supposed to actually have a lion-like character, a lion like spirituality. And I haven't met a lot of those in my journey through Christendom. I've met a lot of lambs, a lot of powerful people who are willing to set down their weakness, a lot of people who are sacrificial, a lot of people who are, who are meek. I've met a lot of those. I haven't met a lot of people who are lion-like. Now, I don't think you have to be one or the other. As a matter of fact, I think that since Jesus was the lion and the lamb, we are called to be the lion and the lamb. I just don't think we teach the lion side very often. And so let me just say as I dive into this that you are in this text. Whether you are 12 years old or or 85 years old, you are in this text. And you are given, especially if you're in relationship with God, with Christ, this lion likeness. And my hope is that you are willing to actually evaluate that and wrestle why it isn't coming out more in your life. That's what I've had to wrestle every single time I gave this message. Why does this quality why, does, why do I keep it hidden so often? So let's see what the text says about it. Now, first off, I wanna make sure you don't think that I'm just throwing that you're like a lion because Jesus is like a lion out there and trying to convince you. I don't preach anything that the Bible doesn't say and Proverbs 28.1 says it as clear as anything. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous, that's those called by God, are bold as a lion. There's also other verses you can kind of look through a lion filter at that are lion-like without the word, like Joshua 1.9, very famous verse. Have I not commanded you, God says? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
Now this verse takes on a whole other meaning if you filter it through a lamb. If you put your lamb filter on, you're like, be strong and courageous. Hop around cute. Bat your way to the next problem. And then run away and try to hide before something eats you. But if you put the lion filter on, and you're like, oh, wait, this is, this is speaking to the lion filter, the lion quality of being in Christ. Then suddenly it takes on an entire other theme. Proverbs 30, 30 assumes you understand that and says this about you and the lion, which is mightiest among beasts and does not turn back before any. What in your life right now are you turning back from? What in your life right now are you not facing? What in your life right now is owning you? has you on your back and is choking you out in real time? Is it anxiety? Is it uh, uh, fear? Is it a certain situation? Is it a lack of forgiveness? Is it holding on to the past? Is it not being authentic about this, this feeling that God wants to press into your story, but you're just like, I refuse. I can't give up that much control. I did it before and it destroyed me. And God's like, but I'm not who you gave it up to before. I don't know what is keeping you from turning back. I don't know what is keeping your lion turned off. And I'm speaking just for a second to a lot of the Christians in the room. Those of you who have refined yourself so very much, you literally filed down your teeth and shaved your mane. And all you eat is grass. I could go on and on if you want me to. God has called you to to grow that stuff back out. And you say, but that's messy. Christians get dangerous when they start roaring everywhere they go. I'm not telling you to roar everywhere you go. You can do it in a meek way. You can maintain your lioness and just set it down when you know it's appropriate. And when you see marginalized people or you see somebody attacking somebody else, then suddenly you can, with all spiritual fervor, turn that lion on and you can be bold. And that means at work, that means in your marriage, that's inside your story, in your church, wherever. God has called you to more than you are, and at the same time, you are enough. The interesting thing about this uh, lion concept is that uh, the enemy, the enemy who is opposed to God and his people, he understands how powerful this identity is, and so in scripture it actually says that he takes it on. First Peter 5.8, probably the most famous lion verse, sadly, it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This devil, his name is Satan or Hasatan. It means that he's the accuser. That's what his name actually means. He shows up and says, ha, you're not enough. He shows up and says, you could never do that. He shows up and says, you'll never be free of that addiction. He shows up and says, that secret, it's gonna eat you alive. You can't get free of it. He shows up and he accuses and he accuses and he accuses. The accuser speaks over our lives that we aren't who we think we are. And he says this, that to be valuable, we need to be more and that we aren't enough as we are. And this is an ancient lie. This is a lie from the beginning. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. That serpent is Hasatan, the accuser. And he speaks and he accuses. Listen, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The very first accusation the accuser accuses in the room is of God lying. Is that God did not consider them whole where they were, that there's something they were missing. By the way, these were perfect people in a perfect garden. And the accuser still shows up and says, but there's more if you wanna be fulfilled. This has been a perfect lie. And so still to this day, a majority of humanity doesn't even realize they have intrinsic value where they are. It's based on their bank account or their job or their social media standing or, 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 or. This lie has worked. It's a perfect strategy. And it works because the accuser not only attacks our identity, he also then tries to take on the identity of God and proclaim we are not enough. You notice in that first Peter verse, it says your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It says he's like a roaring lion. It does not say he is a lion. He's just wearing the fluffy suit. This is clearly shown inside God's response to the earlier mentioned deceptive serpent. God rolls in, he talks to Eve, he talks to Adam, and then he finds that crafty serpent and he has a conversation and then he says to him, here's what's going to happen in the future. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, that offspring being eventually Jesus. And that offspring, he says, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. See, this is an interesting concept, the idea that God knows that now sin has been entered into the world, there is now fallenness, there is now lostness, there's all these things that, that we all live in still today, but God provides an answer in the person of Jesus, in the lineage of Adam and Eve, and he says, and here's what'll happen. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll uh, strike his heel, you'll end up causing the cross, if you will, but in reality, he will crush your head. He will defeat you fully. Now, I think you realize there's a huge difference in getting your heel nipped and crushing the life out of someone's head. See, real lions don't get their heads crushed in. That's not how it works. Could you imagine even trying it? Now, I'm not saying that if you took a lot of time and did a lot of study and found out maybe when a lion was in its deepest sleep that you right now couldn't creep up on a lion with a knife, strike it right in the foot with all your power. I just don't think you're gonna have a good afternoon after that, that's what I think. I think that lion's gonna turn around and crush your face in. This is what God says is happening to the imposter lion. Real lions, like God, command the room. Like Jesus, they fill the space and they recognize what's happening. And they are meek and pulled back where they need to be. And they roar like thunder when they need to. Real lions are willing to walk into spaces that others are not, even when false enemy lions are pressing in. I'll give you an example of a passage where a real lion the Lion of Judah, Jesus, squares off with the false lions who in this passage happen to be the leaders of the church. This is why at Kesed we talk a lot about the broken system of church and how we have to be so careful to question everybody under the lights and with microphones just like me. You should challenge it all. 
You should question it all. You should know that just because I'm here doing this doesn't mean that I have all the answers. Now, my hope is that through prayer and the Holy Spirit that I'm in the presence that God is doing with my weak words, whatever he can in your heart, that you are feeling that presence. But be clear, it's not me. And it's not the podcast or the books or the songs or anything else you're buying into. That stuff is unworshipable. Unworshipable? <laughs> Don't like it more than Jesus. Listen to this story. This is when Jesus, this is my favorite, one of my favorite stories of Jesus because I think if Jesus ever yelled, this would be the passage that he did it. I'm not saying he did. I'm thinking he might sometimes because he's, he's the Lion of Judah. He's not all lamby all the time. It says he's going around and he's teaching the word and all of a sudden he gets the attention of the local church and the local church decides to remind him that he hasn't come from the right lineage. We are teaching the doctrine of Abraham, the OG. This is where our stance comes from. And so what they did is they built a system of rules to refine Abraham's guidance and all that God gave him to be a person that is holy in God's presence. And then basically, generation after generation, they competed to see who could keep the rules the best and be the most holy and the most filled and the most refined. And it's only a few people with a few extra help inside their lineage of people who grew up in families that, that had the resources to send their kids to the schools and do the things. And it's all of that stuff that we're still seeing today. And then there became a class of people who were less than because they couldn't follow the rules exactly right. And they became people outside the church. Well, the great rule followers showed up and they decided, we're gonna have it out with Jesus. We're gonna square up with this false prophet. And they put on their little lion suit, zip, zip, zip left their little fluffy manes and they rolled into the crowd of followers of Jesus and they decided to have a conversation. Verse 39, chapter eight of John, they answered him with their authority. Abraham is our father. Basically saying Jesus is of no lineage. Jesus is of no system. And that's because Jesus is the system, bro. So Jesus says, okay. He says to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did, the lineage before them, the people that were privileged enough to stay inside the system and produce priest after priest after priest and hold on to power after power after power. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality, we were not born outside the system. We have one father, even God. And then Jesus stands up. Doesn't say that, but it's what happened. <laughs> Jesus stands up. He says this, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Oh, <laughs> You felt it for a second, didn't you? I know, me too, and I'm the one reading it. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character because I tell the truth. 
for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Who is, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. He squares up, he, he speaks from authority, and he decimates them. This is what I think it feels like to move in the spirit of God when you're doing what you're doing. And does he do this in every single situation? No, because he is also meek, because he is also willing to be vulnerable. He's willing to, be, to sit in the tension between these two spaces that he carries. But we as Christians need to realize we have been told that we are lambs and we are lambs and we are lambs and we are lambs. And this little lion in us has just gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. And so all of a sudden you decide to show up in a room full of a bunch of people who don't think like you and somebody lets a little bit of their lion slip and they're like, I don't see the world that way. And then you go, <laughs> and you're not willing to bring yourself to the story and maybe learn something from them or maybe teach them something. That's why I promise you this place is just going to be one big giant spiritual fist fight for the next 10 years. I promise you that. That's what it's going to feel like to be here. That's why every single room has been different because different people brought in different stuff and we let it all out. And when that happens, suddenly you can bring your worldview and you can be teachable and you can help teach others. Jesus lives in that space. So much of our spiritual life comes down to this sort of scenario, a clash of lions. We put the image back up of the painting. See, that's what the image means to me. It's this clash of lions. It's this, it's this picture of something that's real and authentic. Something that is powerful and looks back at you and something else that is, that is fake, that is false, that is segmented, that is still built to cause damage to your life, but it's just not alive. I don't know what is in your story that you're holding on to right now, I don't know which lion you best represent, but if you don't feel the living God in your life, then I'm just here to tell you it's the black, white, and gray one. And it does consume, and it does hurt, but it will not protect you. And I can promise you, when the time comes that you need it most, that power that you've been relying on, that addiction, that story, that secret, that thing, that fear, that unforgiveness, I promise you, when you think that you have it controlled the most is when it will turn, pounce on you, and crush your face in. And you say, Danny, but the other lion could crush my face in too. It seems really powerful and real and strong, and I can't control it. And I would say, you're right. This is why Aslan in Narnia was never told that he was the safe lion. <laughs> he wasn't the controllable lion because he was an actual real lion. There's one story I think that highlights this clash of lions best that shows how you can have this identity, how you can actually put this on and not just hear about it from a sermon, but actually walk out wearing it. And it's in Luke 18, 9 through 14, it's a short passage, but it's Jesus once again sharing, and he's talking about two people who come to church to worship. This is what he says. 
He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, by the way, would have been the hyper-religious person, the nearly perfect person that knew how to work the system. And then there would have been the tax collector, the person who took the lowest, most degrading job they could find in their culture. Both of them went to church. The Pharisee and the tax collector, verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. We get to hear his inner prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. And then he has the audacity to say, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. That's offering. But the tax collector, he prayed a different prayer. He's standing further off. Standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He stood in that space of what represented God's presence and he was fully himself. That took power, that took authority, that took a willingness to be vulnerable about what he was wrestling with. He didn't hide in the suit, he actually showed up a lion. And you know what he said? I've killed some stuff I shouldn't. I got blood in places I shouldn't. I've hurt some people that I love, but what I know, God, is you are more powerful than even the the worst things that I've ever done, and I wanna be my full, bold self before you. I wanna stand in your light. So to do that, I'm gonna humble myself, I'm gonna be authentic about what I am, and I'm not gonna claim to be anything else, neither man, nor woman, nor system, nor church, nor anything else. I'm just gonna be me, Standing before you authentic with what I am. That is straight up lion talk. And the other dude's got a suit and all he's doing is comparing his suit to everybody else's. Thank you, Jesus. But I'm not like that person over there. Look how bloody he is. He's got big old scary teeth. He clearly has messed up some stuff. Luckily, Lord, I had my spiritual soul dry clean just last week. Look how fluffy it is. I've got a new upgraded tail. These are hard to find. <laughs> this is just church people to me to a, to a T. I went to a club. We all got upgraded suits together. We hung out. We talked about how awesome we were and how everybody else that wasn't like us was less awesome. People walking by, suffering. I can't help that person because that might get me dirty before the Lord. You know, I got to go pray tomorrow. This is, I think, what God is exposing He wants your whole person to come forward. He wants you to be this authentic individual and he wants you to recognize that there is great power and great beauty in that, but you can't do it unless you take off the suit and come with all your claws and all your teeth and all the stuff that God has given you. I love that in this passage that God justifies the values. I love that he justifies it. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's straight up. I could wrap the sermon up right now. This is it. You want to exalt yourself? You want to talk about how great you are, how powerful you are, how spiritual you are, how long you've been a Christian, as if, as if Christian length somehow has become like, like a thing. 
I have met brand new Christians more spiritually insightful than people who have been boring, dead, spiritual Christians for 50 years regularly. Now, I'm not saying there's not something to wisdom. I already told you, I only listen to people over 80 years old. Those are the only people that let me get advice because <laughs> those people know some stuff. But you don't get to just be 80 years old and suddenly have spiritual insight. The people who have spiritual insight are the people who show up in their full presence, both lamb and lion, and trust that God can work with those identities because God is inside both those identities. When you can do that, then you can protect and you can submit. You can stand up and you can sit down. This is how solid marriages get built, by the way. Even ones with mean wives like mine. <laughs> because suddenly you are partnered with a person that's willing to be her whole self and you can stand back sometimes when she needs to roar and you can listen and you can learn, but also it's not about just one person doing all of the controlling, it's about a partnership. Some of you in the room, you are the only thing in the room that controls anything in your marriage and just so you know, that's just a fluffy lion suit, bro. That's all that is. She doesn't believe it anyways. She just doesn't wanna fight you anymore. It could be reversed too, it could be a wife, it could be a girlfriend, it could be your job, it could be the way that you operate in this world where you always have to be the one. There is no meekness about your person whatsoever. I don't know. I do know this, there's a very clear way though to wear the, uh, the lion suit off, off and then continue in your power because the very next verse, this is the last one I wanna close with, the very next verse after Jesus talks about the tax collector and the man who uh, was the Pharisee and the different prayers, the very next verse is this one in Luke. Verse 15, it says, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. This is really, really important. You have to remember the posture. Jesus tells the story of the tax collector. He tells the story of the, the priest, that person, people are listening. Jesus says, that's not how you become close to God. You become close to God being honest and authentic right where you are, as you are. And suddenly people are like, that kind of reminds me of my two-year-old. Apparently, this story opens up this whole group of people who are like, he's talking about kids. Like he wants kids. He wants childlikeness. And that's exactly what happens. People start bringing their children to him right after he tells that story. And the disciples were like, no, no, no. Jesus isn't gonna do nursery work right now. He's here to change the world. Stop bringing your sticky two-year-olds to him. But Jesus rebukes his disciples and he's like, no, the earlier story invites this story right now. And he rebukes them and Jesus called them to him. So clearly the disciples stopped and Jesus goes, you stop, all of you, let's go. And like a herd of two-year-olds came running up to Jesus. That's how I picture this story. And as they did, he said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You see, children might be the most lion-like example of human beings on earth, specifically two three-year-olds that don't know any better. So this whole sermon, you're thinking like, yeah, I'm gonna go out there bold, I'm gonna bring my whole presence, I'm gonna go with. No, you just need to be like a two-year-old, fully who you are and willing to walk into God's presence because you know you're awesome, so why wouldn't God know you're awesome? He don't care about the little bit of pudding on your face. This is, a, this is one of my godchildren. This is the resident two-year-old of my life right now. 
Look at that hot mess. <laughs> this little boy's name, his actual name is Bear. That's his name. And it fits in perfectly. Bear is whoever he wants to be, whenever he wants to be, no matter who's in the room. He don't care at all. He doesn't care if it's, if it's important or it's, or it's a, a critical meeting or, it's, or, or we're having a hard talks. He don't care. He rolls in, usually with his hair up like that. Something's often on his face and no shoes on. And he demands that everybody recognize he's entered the room. And then, this just started recently, the last few times I've hung out with him. Then, just recently, for no reason, he just starts to roar. <laughs> for no reason. He's not like, watch me, I'm this. Or, hey, let's play this. Nope. He's just like, everybody looking? Okay. Ah! It makes no sense whatsoever. It's like he's broken. Every room, he'll do this. What is happening? What is, what is happening? His parents are in the back. What is happening? This is the last time they took him to the zoo and they brought me this picture. What is that? You normally stand and smile. You don't get on it and roar as well. Unless you don't care what anybody thinks about you and you're just rolling through life confident that you are loved and you got love to give. See, Jesus gives the parables. He gives the examples. He squares off with everybody in a lion suit and then he goes, got it? Do you got it? Good? Kind of? Cool. Bring on the two-year-olds because I need somebody in my life who actually understands. And so suddenly they're there and he is surrounded by them. And people get to step back and see exactly what it looks like to have a relationship, a real life relationship with God, which is him in the middle, laughing, smiling, crouching, hugging, engaging with a whole group of people who don't realize that at any moment he could wipe them from the earth, but he is so beautifully meek and so beautifully just loving that instead he uses that power to invest into their person and into their story. And he loves them as they are. He doesn't make them wipe their faces or put their shoes on or go change their clothes. He doesn't make them line up one at a time or sit in neat and tidy rows. He just sees them. And they bring their whole selves to him. If you don't walk away from, for, with this service from anything but this, God is ready to receive your whole self. All of it. And you don't have to take your hair down, put on a dress. You don't have to clean up. You don't even have to get your life straight or attend church longer. All you have to do is bring your whole self to the presence of God. Because that is what he's offering. Through the cross of Christ, Jesus wants relationship with you. He is the only more you will ever need. And so you no longer have to trust in the identity you've created, but instead in the one you've been given. There is a life before you yet unlived. There is a marriage before you. There is a, a business before you. I believe this as well. There is a church community that, this, that has never, I don't know if it's ever existed, where people can walk in and be their whole selves 
where they are accepted because all of the power comes from God and from what he brings and from who he is. He gets all the credit and all the glory and all the praise. And I hope we get to be a part of it. But it's gonna take more and more messed up people to do it. All the adults, the spiritual adults, those who know better, there's a there's hundred churches in town for you. I'm looking for all the messy, spiritual, questioning, curious, loud, roaring, obnoxious. <laughs> I'm looking for people like me that know they don't deserve anything they have but know that God loves them anyways. And I think that, that family, that will change this community. And I'd love to invite you to be a part of it. But first, you gotta decide. So I'm gonna have you close your eyes, bow your head. I'm gonna have the worship team come out. I want you to ponder the, uh, the excuses you brought with you, the reasons that you gotta keep your your stuffy, well-groomed lion suit on, all the reasons that uh, it would be too scary to take it off, all the reasons that it would be too difficult to, to be uh, really who you're supposed to be. And I want you to, to be willing to stand before Jesus, the Lion of Judah, as you are, and tell him. Tell him why you don't want to help. Tell him why you don't want to serve. Tell him why you don't want to give. Tell him why you don't want to learn or study or stop doing other things that numb you and keep you from feeling. You just tell him every single reason why he shouldn't love you. That's what you need to do today. You tell him every single reason why he shouldn't love you. And you listen. And you watch the Spirit of God as it pours over your heart and he loves you anyways. He sees you anyways. He meets you anyways. Your excuses are not overwhelming. Your failure is not overwhelming. Your mistakes are not overwhelming. Your addiction is not overwhelming. Your reasoning is not overwhelming. But God's love is. And he can find you. Even if you're still running, he can find you. He will, and maybe today he has. Maybe today your marriage changes. Maybe today your church hurt is healed. Maybe today you let those lions clash and trust that God will overcome. You are worth this space, my friend. You are worth so much to him. There is a lion inside you. His name is Jesus and he wants to rebuild and reform and do all the things you want to do. But first, he just wants to hold you in this space. He just wants to see you in this space. Let's just sit with him. Let's just reflect and see what he wants to do. I've got nothing new 
How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs as I often do, but every song must end. And So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I've nothing else fit for a king except for a heart singing. With my arms stretched wide So come on, my son. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your son. You've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Oh, come on, my son. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your son. You've got a
different than we came, known by you. May we leave courageous and bold in our stories, in our marriages, in our families, at work, at school, wherever you've called us. We thank you, Lord, that through you and because of you, we are more than enough. We just lift all the praise and glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, guys. We'll see you next week.